0: Hi, Sirish, Good afternoon. We have to connect on Insta. Both being in Pune, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, just imagine, not even five kilometers from each other, but uh, we will see each other online.
0: Yeah, that's that's how the new world is. Yeah.
1: Seriously, how things have changed. So i was yeah, just yeah, telling our viewers. That uh, over this week, we've been having a lot of fun. Uh, we've spoken to Bupesh Reddy at Brent Garage. We spoke to Shana Parmeshwar. We spoke to Manoj Lula, sports car enthusiasts to walk through their garage. Uh, saw Exotica. But uh, today, we are back to getting serious. Uh, you are, in my opinion, one of the smartest, brightest people in the Indian automotive industry. No better person to tell us what the state <laughs> of the Indian automotive industry is right now.
0: That's a tall compliment, not sure if I deserve it, but uh, from our perspective, uh, you know, when I look at Indian automotive industry, and I have been with the industry now for more than 20 years, uh, there is, uh, of course, there is a mass market, and then you look at luxury. If you see last year, the way we ended the overall industry, uh, you know, there was a lot of optimism uh, for 2020. I think in Auto Expo, uh, we all saw optimism products. There was a lot of enthusiasm uh, as an industry uh, during the Expo. Uh, But I think what happened post-March, though the COVID fear started coming in during the Expo, some of them were already wearing masks. uh, But I think that reality Mm. started striking in the month of March. And somewhere around 10th to 15th of March, you could see uh, consumers getting more sensitive, uh, regulations coming in place. Uh, You know, we were one of the first to close down our factories. Some dealership operations started closing down. And I think uh, uh, we are all closed. So technically speaking, uh, you know, we have to wait for the market to now uh, open up uh, and then we can all place our bets on how the industry will react. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I think uh, there are many theories. Uh, Firstly, it will all depend on government intervention to a large extent, uh, to what extent government intervenes, uh, you know, to get the business going, to get the sentiments going. Uh, Having said that, we are private sector, we need to do our job. Uh, And I think uh, the automotive industry in India will definitely rise up to the occasion. They will do everything to get the sentiment and the momentum back. So, uh, so I
1: just want to cycle cycle back to the pre-COVID situation that we find ourselves in. Last year was not easy for the Indian automotive industry. The transition to BS6 was difficult uh, across the automotive industry. The growth that everybody anticipated never really came. Uh, In your opinion, what could have been done better in hindsight?
0: Uh, From the industry perspective, I think we had to all uh, agree and realize that uh, BS6 will come. You know, uh, 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 from our perspective, we felt uh, some of the players spent a lot of time in trying to see if this uh, can get delayed or this can, you know, uh, maybe the inevitable comes a bit more months delayed Mm -hmm. and can we cash on the BS4. Uh, you know, we launched the S-Class way back in 2018 with the BS6. You know, they, we, we, we were very clear once the new regulations came, came in place that this will come in. And uh, I think we all as manufacturers had to prepare ourselves for this. Now, when BS4 and this 6 transition won, the consumer sentiment was down because he was not sure whether to buy a nice car at a good deal or whether he should wait for the BS6. So that brought demand to some extent down. The other thing which changed is also, you know, the shared mobility space, etc., if you see, uh, was also hit uh, in the second half of last year. And uh, many, the overall auto industry also found those headwinds. And that's where uh, there is, was a tendency from many players to go into the shell, uh, you know, at that point of time and, uh, and, and try and see what happens. But I think the festive period was the turning point. Uh, you know, in Dashara and Diwali, I still remember we had huge deliveries of cars uh, to an extent where by December we were able to stock out our BS4s. So that really, manufacturers who are able to do that, and not only I'm saying about luxury, but I'm just saying in general, I think are in a better situation, Their dealers are in a better situation, because you, know, you can take the stocks back from dealers, but then uh, there's already a cost involved uh, in this entire transition. Uh, so, and also, uh, you know, the customers at this point of time, they're buying cars with high discounts, uh, which also means their residual value goes away. So what happens to customers who bought the cars earlier? And their car value also dropped. So I think uh, the industry's ability to transition, uh, I think overall was a challenge. Uh, Some of them could do it well. Some of them were struggling. And I think some of them really had to go to the courts. And then now we try and see how to get some respite.
1: Yeah. So now what is going to happen in the post-lockdown scenario? We are all waiting for the lockdown to lift on the third. Uh, You think that uh, things will, it will not get back to business as usual, will it?
0: No not not for sure, because uh, I think this is not an economic impact this is uh, there is a demand side shock if you see uh, because a lot of uh uh, customers will definitely feel is this the right time to buy a car? Uh, that's one way to look at it, and I'll come to that in a while. Uh, and then there is also a supply side shock because you know the supply chains are affected, so cars are not available, new products launches may get delayed. So that's on the other side, and then there is a third shock which is a sentiment shock. You know, you are also uh, uh, from demand supply, but then the sentiments are also down. Uh, so when we all come back, I think uh, one. Uh, new products will excite market again uh, because I think in automotive industry there is nothing better than product to excite. Secondly, Uh, I think we had a poor
1: connection We'll just uh, reconnect uh, Santosh and uh, get this going. Let's just see if we can connect him. Hello. Yeah, Santosh, I think we had a poor connection at… I don't
0: know. Whose end? Yeah.
1: Yeah, I don't know whose end. (laughs) We had a poor connection. Sorry about that. Yeah. You were talking about the first part. uh, The second part? The second point? That's where we lost you.
0: Uh, yeah, so uh, so basically, once uh, once the uh, you know once the lockdown gets shifted, one is the go- uh, as I said, the government intervention also, uh, whether they launch scrappage policies, whether they launch uh, any specific tax benefits or rebates, and I think that's also something that needs to will be, play a major role. And third is then uh, up to us as manufacturers. What can we do differently at this point of time? Uh, you know, as responsible manufacturers, what how do we excite the market? How do we take care of their apprehensions because customers may not be really keen to walk into showrooms or meet people or sales guys so can we do it remotely can digitalization help to some extent so it's a combination of all these three factors which will determine again how the industry comes back but when you look at abroad if you look at china when i spoke to some of our colleagues there the demand is back you know the showroom traffic is huge Uh, they are back to their normal business korea is another example of back to normal business Uh, consumers are buying more And here our theory now coming to luxury is a bit different because, you know, uh, what happens is, India always had wealth and, you know, people yes. were not buying luxury cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were uh, saving in SIPs and stock market. And now if you see what has happened in this lockdown, you are at home, uh, then just your, your valuations have come down. And I think there's a lot of introspection that, yes, let's spend, let's enjoy life. Uh, let's, you know, also, also spend in some of these luxury goods. And this is where we feel uh, this sentiment should be back and people should again start. You know, an interesting trivia, we still have cars being uh, our used cars because we have an online portal for our uh, used cars we still have bookings there we still have accessories for example the small mercedes-benz accessories Uh, we have bookings coming every day and we call up customers and tell them you know we can't supply because there is no lockdown so Mm -hmm. i think there is market Uh, we have to see at what level it peaks up will it come to normalcy will it be uh, you know all those v-shaped recovery l-shaped recoveries but that's dependent on all the three four factors which i enumerated
1: yeah. Uh, what sort of support would you like from the government?
0: At this juncture, uh, you know,
1: uh, government also has a tough balancing act to
0: do because on one side, the social sector and, you know, we have, we are seeing uh, what can be done there. And second is what they can do for the automotive industry. Uh, mm. Firstly, they have to do something on the demand side. Uh, Also, you know, to create demand because uh, whatever interventions you do indirectly may not really help. So to do something on the demand side, I, I think extending the accelerated depreciation Uh, You know, looking into also factors like scrappage policy or even tax incentives for a certain period of time. Uh, This will all, uh, you know, get the demand shock out of the system. And then the supply shock, I think the industry is well matured enough to take care of supplies, uh, supply chain management, localization, many of these topics. So as long as the government is ready to take care of the demand side, uh, you know, get that sentiment back, get the demand side back. And this will churn also, in our opinion, there are many statistics on automotive industry contributing to employment, contributing to GDP and many stuff. So I think it's just not, uh, you know, the sad thing will be if the government looks this as, you know, a rich man's uh, problem and maybe uh, whether cars and bikes are not uh, to be used by the common man. And I think if they have a different prism and they look at automotive industry, we should have a better time ahead. Let's see.
1: Yeah. Uh, you started off in the automotive industry 20, 25 years ago. Uh, your first uh, role was in a bike manufacturer uh, in uh, Yamaha. So you've seen both uh, bikes yes. as well as cars. So Yamaha, Toyota, then uh, Mercedes. Uh, what is your impression of the overall uh market, the overall automotive industry, both bikes as well as cars, do you see, uh, so everybody talks about Ola, Uber and all that people will not be using public transport going forward because of the fear, social distancing, all of that. So you think like mass market bikes, for instance, will that pick up quickly?
0: I think first of all, in this 20 years period to answer your first question. um, Nothing much has changed. Unfortunately, for the industry, for the dealers, you know the way we do business. Uh, some things are same. You know, manufacturers, OEMs, build dealers. Dealers try to push it to customers. There are discount wars. The customer experience has not, frankly, uh, what has changed is very good products. Very good. Uh, you know, we have seen the Indian industry maturing in terms of products. Uh, uh, and here again, there is a shift from utility. We saw styling to be a major factor. From styling, uh, it's now shifting to size also, uh, you know, SUV Mm -hmm. phenomena, then we also saw uh, now gizmo phenomena, you know, how much gizmos Mm -hmm. the car has, what kind of uh, tech uh, connected, and that's some trend that you can see happening, but Mm -hmm. fundamentally the overall structure has remained more or less similar. And I think this will uh, also, in my opinion, may also be a changing point. The COVID crisis, uh, generally crisis brings about some dramatic change. Uh, If you see, uh, the first wave of change came because of finance, Uh, you know, all the low EMI, low payments, bikes were available, cheaper, uh, and that was a trend there. And now I think the digitization will also drive this change. Uh, the way we do the customer journey, the way we try to even, uh, you, you know, the entire dealer paradigm uh, uh, has to change in the, the way they will, we will do this business. And this is where I think the next uh, couple of months or years will be uh, definitive for the
1: automotive industry in India also. So digitization is going to be a big uh, talking point. You're already talking a lot about digitization. I remember late last year, you talked about, uh, you know, buying your cars uh, online. Uh, You just spoke about buying your used cars online. So you have a website shop.mercedesbenz.co.in where you can look at the stock. Uh, You are selling cars, uh, used cars online right now, only your fleet vehicles. And later on, you will expand to other, you know, the market for Mercedes-Benz grow the second-hand market. Uh, You see that uh, growing, you see people actually now buying cars online?
0: Yeah, see, uh, first of all, uh, the major trigger is convenience. You know, even in our used car business, uh, we went live on Feb and we have now close to 220 odd cars, 240 uh, cars online, uh, used cars. Uh, and this is available at shop.mercedes.in and here we have cars. Uh, and let me tell you first, this is not an online booking platform. This is an e-commerce website, uh, wherein all the dealers put their inventory. Uh, The e-commerce is managed by Roadster, which is a US player, which specializes in uh, the entire e-commerce platform. And uh, the key thing is convenience because, you know, many of our customers come after nine o'clock in the night. They come in, they search their cars, uh, you know, they're playing with the tools uh, and and they're trying to see what is possible. And maybe once they make up their mind, then they are actually contacting us or the dealerships there. And uh, I think what digital offers is also non-intrusive customer interaction, because here uh, they also fear to give data, you know, they don't know whether if I call up a dealer casually, will will I be chased? Will I be followed up? Uh, What happens there? And online gives a space where he can actually look into the cars and availability at his space. This is all used cars, and we have a lot of learning from there. Now, when it comes to new car, uh, we will be announcing a big initiative uh, on a similar level, wherein Mm -hmm. a customer can see the inventory of the dealership, he can see the on-road price, he can see the discounts of every dealer. So, you know, the fundamental thing, which is... Uh, you know, reduced is trust and transparency in our business. And here, many of our customers, when they buy, they don't know, I negotiated well, but did I get a good deal? And they mm-hmm. may call you, they may call me, they may call a friend mm-hmm. of them. And I think by giving transparency, consumers will still, uh, will, that's, that's something for online to succeed. On the other end of the spectrum, when you look at luxury cars, people want pampering. They want, you know, they have, they want to configure their cars. Now let's look at AMGs. Uh, they want, they want much more assistance also at the time of purchase. So our solution that we announce will be a combination of assisted online buying and also independent online buying. And this is something that we are working on. It will be first of its kind uh, that we will introduce. And I think if you solve the customer's problem, it's not Mm -hmm. about the platform. It's not about digital, physical. uh, And I don't think we are competing uh, on this platform. Uh, Mm -hmm. The the key will be how we are able to merge uh, these and how with our dealers, we are able to also give a better experience. So this is something we are working on. And uh, I think all I can say now is it's a matter of days where we announce this full initiative and customers can shop online online for even new cars.
1: Yeah, so Sumitra is making a good point here and he's saying that what about the touch and feel? Because especially for your kind of uh, customer, he would want to feel, he, she would want to feel the car, want to test drive the car, want to uh, really you know talk to the, the dealer, the salesperson. How do you deal with that?
0: So that, uh, actually, it's, it's quite, see, we have two set of customers. One are guys who have been in abroad, you know, they're working in US, Dubai, they have run, driven our cars. They know the cars. They just come in uh, and then they buy. Then there is a second uh, also, which is a highly enthusiast set. Frankly speaking, this set knows a bit more than some of our colleagues in dealerships mm-hmm. or even at MB India. They know much more on nuts and bolts on the cars. Or, or even uh, and they and have nuts. driven it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they have driven it, they know it. Uh, And then you have another base, which is close to 50-60%, I can say, which also wants to try it out before they buy. We are going to uh, also ensure this experience remains. We will not take out this experience in online. So, uh, this uh, getting a car at your doorstep to test drive, uh, maybe do you want to keep the car for some extended period of time, Uh, how you want to be non-intrusive, you know, somewhere you just leave the car, can I uh, just test drive it, can I just feel it, it remains. And also the sales consultant part, you know, some of them want to negotiate, they really want mm. to talk to the guy, they exactly. need a face. yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: because Indians are all
0: deal seekers, aren't they? Exactly. So this also will remain, you know, they, that's why I said it's not, uh, uh, it's not dealership, uh, you know, the current sales process versus a digital process. The, 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 the success will lie how both can merge together. What problem we solve of the customer today, when he uh, connects with a dealership, then, uh, you know, there is a lot of chasing and this happens, you know, they are, we are sales guys and definitely they want to close deals and sales. Sometimes a customer feels too much intrusive. Sometimes he feels, give me some time to think, Uh, let Mm. me browse, let me check. Uh, And sometimes it's there. On the other hand, when I, you know, car is also a purchase where you want to spend some time buying this product. So you want to do your research online, you want to check out options, you want to compare. And, uh, in our set of customers, everybody's busy with their own business or profession during the day. And that's when, you know, at, at late evenings, early mornings, uh, we want to give them the, the complete non-intrusive experience also, where they are there with their iPads or their phones. And or even while in their car to work, they can check out the pricing, the offers, without even having to, you know, touch base with anybody. And then once they're ready, uh, we are always there to support them at any point of time. So this is something, a hybrid model, And uh, you will see the details as we announce it very soon.
1: So dealerships in this day and age when you're doing more on digital. Now you said your dealers are the sellers on your platform. So it's not like the dealers are going out of business. But uh, going forward, do you need big dealerships? Do you need multiple dealerships within a city?
0: So, you know, uh, this is a good question. Uh, You know, a lot of, uh, first of all, big dealerships, uh, you know, when you have a big range of cars uh, to display. Uh, you may need a dealership of that size. But as and when... Uh, the online world takes over and if the car is going to the customer's home or office to do a test drive or to even be shown, uh, the size of the dealership is not a challenge. And that answers the size question. Uh, Do you need multiple partners? I think uh, multiple partners comes into existence also more for competition. You know, it's also in the customer's interest uh, when there is competition in a market. Uh, We have been in India for 25 years. Uh, You know, we had a small network. Now we have a reasonable network with around 99 odd touch points. Uh, This is needed one, to have a healthy competition. On the other side, exploit market potential. Uh, for example, when you look at Bombay or even Delhi, you know uh, they are large cities. They are megapolis. So having one outlet or two outlets in different parts may not cater to customer demand. And when it comes to service, it becomes much more important because you want to go to the closest dentist, right? You don't want to go to the best dentist in your town. So, uh, and the closer uh, workshop uh, is very important that we are closer to the customers when it comes to workshop, service availability and others. So we need network spread when it comes to service. Uh, Digitization may change the paradigm in terms of large outlets or large dealerships, but it's a a curve, it takes time. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, we need competition also in the market. But what's mm-hmm. the right size? And that's a balance that I think OEMs uh, have to introspect because sometimes overcapacity is also not good, neither for the dealers uh, and neither for the market.
1: Yeah. In this whole lockdown scenario, it's the dealer community that is really feeling the stress. Uh, obviously, zero cars are being sold right now because of the lockdown. But the overheads are there. All those costs are still to be maintained. Yeah, so. Are you going to look at reducing dealer expenditure, taking care of the health of your dealers? Because after all, they are your first customer and then you they sell on to your other customers, right?
0: No, that's quite valid. Uh, Actually, you know, uh, this is very unlike the global financial crisis because in there, some markets were affected, some were not, and it was a financial issue. In this uh, particular situation, first as an OEM, we are affected not only in India, but globally. That's Mm -hmm. one thing. Secondly, uh, if you see, uh, we have suppliers also on one side. They also have fixed costs. They also have commitments. And then we have dealers on the other side. So there's supply and demand both sides. We have partners and as OEMs, we have to see how do we balance the overall value chain uh, so that we emerge out of this crisis uh, in a much better shape. Uh, the first thing uh, that we have tried to address is cash flow because in such situations you have to pay salaries, rentals, you know, some overheads, interest. And uh, here we have ensured liquidity to our network uh, so to an extent that a couple of months they are taken care of in terms of cash flow situation. Mm-hmm. But the real challenge, you know, there are a lot of discussions on whether we should pay salaries or rentals and others. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, the view is it's not going to solve the problem. It's not going, the, this current situation is much more deeper crisis. Uh, We Mm. need to work together. We Mm. have to see how do we optimize our business? Uh, How do we give a better experience also to customers on the other hand? So when Mm. the lockdown shifts, I think manufacturers and dealers will have to work together. And for Mm. our side, we are talking to our dealer partners. I think the biggest thing is communication. Uh, Talk to them, look at their fixed cost, because, uh, you know, you can have a big wish list, but whether customers are going to walk into showrooms or are they going to discuss online. And Mm. here flexibility will remain the key. Uh, we are committed to that path also for our dealer partners and uh, we need a long haul it cannot be a one month two month intervention and this happens so I think whatever we do on a strategic basis uh, with our partners will have to take care of a long term situation when will the demand come back and when can we get back to 2019 numbers to start with uh, because there will be a degrowth uh, that's clearly expected and how do you resize your business your operations your fixed costs uh, will determine on how do we go ahead with it.
1: Yeah, Uh, we had another question about leasing and why leasing has not taken off in India. Is it because of the GST tax structures?
0: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, one of the fundamental issue on leasing is the interest rates because in a high interest rate market like India, uh, Mm -hmm. leasing works on a principle where you pay only for the 50% of the car, the balance 50% you pay at the end of tenure. But -hmm. this balance 50%, for example, also carries an interest by the banks because, you know, uh, somebody's funding it uh, when Mm -hmm. you buy the car or when you lease the car. In an interest rate country like India where rates Mm -hmm. hover around 9 to 10%, uh, the cost of acquisition via leasing becomes quite substantial. And that's and compounded, as you rightly mentioned with GST and, you know, all the all the issues, it becomes more complicated. You know, we have tried to solve this problem, the tax problem uh, with a product called Agility. You know, Agility gives uh, best of both worlds. It's a higher purchase agreement, wherein you, you buy a car with the same 50% value uh, kind of a stuff with a low EMI. And at the end of three years, you can then decide whether you want to own the car, give it back or, you know, or or maybe just upgrade to a new car. So we have an interim product between leasing and higher purchase called Agility, and Mm -hmm. that's to some extent, takes care of many of these issues and but the penetration is still close to 20-25% on this product. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm mm-hmm. uh, You also had another product that reminds me about another product where you could buy the earlier generation or the current generation GLS, which is obviously now not there because you've run out of all stock. And when the new GLS comes in, uh, you can upgrade to the new GLS. Uh, did that find a lot of takers? And what was that program?
0: No, the, we, we
1: you know, last year, second half, you remember the
0: automotive industry was not in the best of the shapes and this mm-hmm. is where we came up with this initiative called Wishbox and uh, Wishbox, the program yeah. that you're mentioning uh, is one of them. Uh, mm-hmm. We found takers uh, at that time for not only GLS but even S-Class and others because they had to catch the next cycle uh, and uh, we had contracts uh, with DFS wherein we do that. The current challenge is uh, we had committed to them certain time frame. But you know, with this lockdown, there are delays now, mm-hmm. even in the new GLS. Uh, but yes, we stand committed to those promise to those customers. And they will definitely be the first customers of the new GLS. So that's something we are all looking forward to. Uh, but what it did is it took away this fear of BS4. And that's why uh, in my opening remark, as I said, manufacturers who are able to, uh, you know, mitigate the BS4 topic by December uh, mm-hmm. are in a much better situation. But uh, unfortunately, you know, it went much further. Faster. So, when we started Jan, we didn't have GLS, we don't have a GLE because we launched it in Feb. Uh, we don't have a CLA now, we don't have a GLA. So, we are now run out on all these cars and we have to wait for the new cars to now come in. So, it's, uh, some can call it rich man's problem, but I think it's not a right situation to be in a market without products uh, which customers want. So, I think we will do everything to get these products back.
1: Yeah. And ultimately it is products that make or break companies. Now we've been talking about, uh, obviously your product uh, launches will get delayed because the supply chain has been hampered, but you're not going to stop launching new products. You will definitely have to launch new cars, new SUVs. And that is what is going to excite your uh, audience, excite your dealers, excite your customers.
0: Absolutely right. You know, when we did our uh, leadership discussions, uh, and I think Martin was very clear that time that uh, we can cut down on anything, but we will not cut down on the launches and i think that's that's quite sensible also because uh, products excites markets and for customers today in india one of the things, if you see what has changed in india is the life cycle of the cars you know earlier the 6 year life cycle is no longer there uh, 3 years life cycle changes for facelift is also gone people want new and fresh and yeah. that's why we are in a good position because we have the new a class limousine coming up we have the gla there the gle is still in waiting you know we, we just launched it Uh, We have the GLS, so and of course a huge range of AMGs and other dream cars to come up. So I think we are confident that will be our mantra to excite market to pick up consumer demand. uh, And we will not uh, delay this. But having said that, we are dependent on global supply chain. You know, some of the GLEs, GLSs are made in Tuscaloosa, uh, the EQCs are made in Germany and in other parts. So uh, we will be having a shock there, but we will have a delay. But uh, I think whatever we committed at start of the year, as of now, uh, things go the way we are planning, uh, the lockdown lifts by May, uh, we should be able to launch all these products this year.
1: Yeah, and obviously you will greet your launch platform and uh, the launch schedule to make sure you get the vehicles that are under a lot of demand. For instance, the GLS, I think, will now come in earlier than the other uh, cars that you had planned.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, one thing we also don't want to do is launch a car and it's not available, you know, then there's bookings, etc. Customers are restless. They want the new toys. Uh, They want it as early. Uh, And uh, frankly, uh, there's no point in making that. So, of course, we sometimes we do a pre-launch and just to also excite the market and show them. Uh, But ideally, we would like to launch cars when we have you know, decent number of cars. Of course, demand is more than supply, like in GLE also. But that's why we want to launch the GLS at an appropriate time. We will also look at other cars, uh, be it even the electric portfolio, for example. We are committed to EQC. Uh, again, we will launch it when we have a reasonable assurance that cars are on the ship and we are able to supply. Uh, it's just not just uh, that we launch a car and then we, we don't have cars to sell.
1: Yeah, in an ideal uh, environment, you Actually, been launched in April. That's uh, what y'all had uh, announced.
0: Yeah, that that was yeah. our plan. In fact, once we showed the car itself, there were a big consumer, uh, you know, interest. Uh, we increased our internal projections also quickly. Uh, but somehow things didn't turn out now, and we have to wait for a couple of months more for these cars to come.
1: Uh, do you think that uh, now with oil prices having crashed? Uh, Do you think that interest will continue to remain for electric cars? Maybe your interest might not change, your interest might remain high because you are looking at a more premium and high-end product. But mass-market electric vehicles, do you see that taking a backseat now that oil prices are lower than it was?
0: I think the promise of electric was not only fuel efficiency. You know, uh, if you look at the electric development, firstly, it's driven by regulations uh, to a large extent. So if you want to meet your fleet averages and also, you know, the government regulations and also tasks, uh, all manufacturers have to be committed to this roadmap to some extent. Uh, Also, then it also comes from the corporate philosophy of sustainability. Uh, As a brand, you want, you are committed to the sustainability topic, then you have to introduce electric cars. So it's not uh, just coming from the fuel price differential that we can see. Uh, coming uh, from our segment, uh, you know, our positioning is also right now not on a Bombay to Goa kind of a car. Uh, it's more intracity, you know, you can use yes. this car for 3-4 days, just charge it in your garage, uh, in your building or in your uh, bungalows, wherever our customers reside and it's, it's peppy, fun to drive and uh, good luxury electric vehicles. Coming mm. to the question on mass markets, uh, it, it, it is, you know, at this point of time, there would be customers who will look at mobility solutions because uh, the the public transport thing goes away. And when I say this, there'll be electric two wheelers uh, because that's again a good option for customers. Uh, They also look at small uh, electric vehicle passenger cars. As long as the anxiety is taken care of that, uh, you know, I can still manage an electric car for the full day and Mm -hmm. if uh, mass market manufacturers are able to give that, finding an electric charging point in your own building, uh, you know, will not be that point because you can just put it on charge overnight and still, uh, you know, in the morning drive this car away. So uh, it takes time. But again, I look up to the industry also to take some lead because, you know, here we can push this back, but then we lose uh, the leadership, you know, of of becoming much more electric. So uh, from BS6, what we have learned is uh, that, yes, uh, we need to give emission-free cars, much more cleaner cars. And uh, if the industry stays on the path, I think we will be able to convince customers to adapt to more sustainable options. Yeah,
1: you will be getting a lot of questions from our audience. We'll take that in a bit. I want to talk about uh, AMG. Now, that is something that uh, really excites us. Uh, your plans for the AMG have not uh, changed, and also the government rule, the CBU 1500 import uh, rule without homologation, that has helped the AMG business a lot.
0: Yeah. So, you know, when we started the business in 2009-10, you know, the Gullwing is the first car that we showed in Auto Expo and we launched AMG business. Uh, there was skepticism, you know, whether these supercars, they have car roads here in India to drive these cars, et cetera. But I think we were convinced on the strategy. We were convinced that definitely it has a role to play in the portfolio. Uh, mm. Going up uh, by 2014, we also set up the APCs, the AMG Performance Centers. And yeah. then uh, a couple of years back, we also ensured there is dedicated service base, et cetera, for these performance cars. Uh, the. We have seen a growth, even last year in one of the, you know, uh, automotive industries struggling with growth. We saw a 54% growth in the AMG segment, you know, that speaks volumes that in the top end consumers want these products. Uh, The 2500 rule is definitely a catalyst, but it's not a simple rule because uh, there are still, we have to ensure that cars that we import in India comply to some of the local legislations. Uh, For example, tinted glasses, you know, uh, we have Mm. to ensure that we cannot give them in India. And uh, we have to also, so there is still some work. It's not that just you go and shop for a car and bring them under 2,500. Uh, so, but definitely it opens up a big paradigm uh, for us to really offer customized cars. Uh, now consumers can uh, you know, configure these cars. So it, it gives us more opportunities. As far as 2020 goes, when we come back, The entire digital experience and also the concierge experience that I was mentioning also Mm -hmm. gets extended to the APCs and to the AMG portfolio. Uh, We will also see how uh, consumers, because they may not be able to travel from a Chennai or from a Delhi to Pune to see some of these Mm -hmm. cars. Can we show them virtually? Of course, uh, they are also petrol heads. They would like to you know, have the feel on the pedal uh, also. Uh, But as I said, many of our customers have driven these cars, uh, more so the AMG customers in some parts of the world. So they they know that. They would still like to see the options, the colors, maybe the car in flesh. And uh, this we will also try and see how digitalization can help in this process in 2020.
1: Uh, What is the best-selling AMG in India? Uh, I believe uh, earlier it was the G63. Is it still the G63 or are the 45s uh, now
0: or the 43 is uh, ahead? No, uh, actually uh, the G63 was in the pinnacle uh, of sales. Uh, but however, in the second half of the last year, we launched the G350 also. Uh, and then we had huge availability issues because uh, you know we had, uh, we had run out on the G63 in terms of order bank for three to four months time. Uh, and we were not able to supply. And that's where we launched the GLE53 also, the coupes. Uh, and they did extremely well. Uh, so in the last quarter, I would say the heroes were the coupes uh, that we had. But if you have to look now, uh, I think the G63 production, we are sold out till July or odd, uh, even in the current situation. Uh, So the G is definitely a strong uh, product uh, in the AMG stable.
1: And of course, uh, SUVs are doing much better than the sports cars considering our roads and our conditions.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think the affinity to SUVs is there, Uh, you know, also it's not only about the roads, but the consumer mindset of having bigger cars, uh, you know, Mm. more muscular, uh, more bigger. Uh, and I think it's also a sense of security, you know, uh, these cars in the Indian traffic conditions or wherever uh, you find them, uh, that's what we said. Having said that, if you look at our normal portfolio, the E-Class is the winner. Uh, you know, it's, it's completely, it's a, it leads by a huge margin, uh, the number of cars on the sedan side. Of course, it's a distinctive product, the long wheelbase makes it very unique. Uh, but of course, the star product in our portfolio is the long wheelbase E-Class.
1: Yeah, and that continues to do very well, even though uh, the pricing being where it is uh, and you having cheaper cars. But the E-Class is still your flag bearer. Of course. Uh, but but expo- on
0: E-Class, uh, we have also upgraded. So if you see every three months, we are upgrading content. Now it has, you know, we have uh, all the latest connectivity features in the car. We have put a lot of uh, content in the car also when we are taking our prices. Again, this is an insight, you know. We don't want to give uh, basic cars at lower prices. I think more content, luxury car customers needs, uh, you know, uh, you know, needs features and content. Mm. So we will... That's why the price is going up, but uh, of course we are adding value also.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing with Indian customers. Whether it's your Mercedes customers, whether it is uh, the smaller car customers, they are all looking for value. They are all value conscious. It's not price
0: conscious. Exactly, exactly. So uh, if you are, uh, it's, it doesn't help to come up with strip down versions or you know come up with lower uh, mm-hmm. entry points. We have seen that in this industry, more so in the luxury industry for the last eight to ten years. Uh, It also affects residual value, you know, the moment you come out with a lower end variant, uh, the entire portfolio RV drops significantly and customers who bought these cars, they don't feel happy then after a certain point of time. So, I think we have to be conscious and that's why giving content is better than reducing price.
1: Yeah, and you've also been experimenting with uh, different uh, vehicles, the V-Class for instance, at the first time… Actually, not the first time, because you also had uh, the earlier van uh, that was there, I think maybe 20 years ago. Uh, And even before that, uh, when Mercedes um, first started operations, you had the van, I forget the the model code of it. But the V-Class, have you seen a lot of demand for it? Have you seen a lot of people actually opting for it?
0: See, uh, I think V-Class had, again, two faces. Uh, the earlier demand side
1: was huge, uh, but we are not
0: giving it to fleets, uh, you know, of course, there are some technical issues there on speed governors, others, but as a strategic decision, we, we look at V-Class as more of a personal luxury vehicle. So, uh, in that sense, uh, we are only catering to the personal segment assets. So, mm-hmm. and the second upside we saw is when we launched the elite, you know, those uh, luxurious seats uh, makes a lot of difference. And here again, Mm -hmm. it's about price value proposition. Uh, That's more than one crore, but we are still having uh, to wait for two, three months to get that car. Uh, whereas uh, we have the other cars, uh, exclusives and others, uh, which are still available and we are still able to supply. So we have customers at different price point. Having said that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, whenever we add content and we load a car, we are seeing but much, but, but retraction. And that even goes with the V-Class. Interesting is the Marco Polo, which we showed in Expo. Yes. Uh, yeah. The car... So the car is available only by end of the year because uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's pre-configured and booked, etc. But we, we already got orders, you know, even for those cars and I don't know where they will use them. Uh, Sales colleagues told me somebody has a coffee estate or something and Mm -hmm. they want to Mm -hmm. use it. I'm not sure where, but yes, there are even customers for that. But it's also important that we give everything, you know, every segment has some niche buyers. And mm. uh, for us, we are able to service all these cars in India. We have the capability to do that. And as you said, 2500 rule allows us to also bring some of these things to the Indian market. So we, 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 we lay on that strategy.
1: Uh, in terms of niche products, what about station wagons? Now you had the all-terrain on the E-Class, but uh, that really didn't find uh, that much uh, traction. Um, do you see estates being like of no point, no point putting the effort behind estates for India?
0: I think it's also about functionality. Uh, What we did with our estate was we didn't go for CKD. You know, we went for CBU. And the Mm -hmm. moment we have a CBU E-class estate, Uh, when you compare it with the, and and the second topic is India has a long wheelbase E-Class also. So technically, uh, an estate offers a larger legroom but uh, also for the rear passenger but that's already taken care by the long wheelbase E-Class. Then the only functionality of an estate is the big boot because that's something there uh, for carrying your golf kit or or, you know for long drives your baggages or for airport uh, transfers etc. And here uh, you know you had also the price differential was huge between an estate and a normal long wheelbase E-Class. So that's one of the reason it didn't take off well in our opinion. Uh, but what we again don't want to do is bring an estate at, uh, you know, uh, and, and compete it with a sedan. Uh, so we have left it right now there. Uh, I mm. think form and functionality, the functionality is not given a premium as such. It's more the form uh, mm. is what we feel. So right now we, have sh- uh, we are not pursuing that path when it comes to estates, but we still have some estates left with us. Uh, you know, we are still selling some of those estates
1: uh, in the market. Mm. Uh, Obviously, being Evo, we have to talk about motorsport. Uh, are you doing something in motorsport? Do you have plans in 2024 for motorsport? Uh,
0: from an India perspective, you know, we did a lot with the boot circuit. Uh, I think yeah. 2012 to 14, I was personally involved for this Formula One, you know, all getting the... Uh, for three years, we did this. And mm-hmm. uh, we also have our Driving Academy on the track, uh, uh, the Performance Academy, AMG Performance Academy and stuff. But now, uh, unfortunately, uh, that piece has gone away. Uh, From Mercedes-Benz perspective, we are invested in Formula 1, we are into uh, Formula E also, Mm. uh, and also now into gaming and stuff. Now, what happens in India? uh, And this is something, uh, you know, as a strategy, we have still not gone all out uh, for motorsports or racing in India. We will continue to use our official, uh, you know, channels. We will uh, try and see how we can promote talent. Uh, Is there any opportunities for that? Uh, Also, maybe, you know, give some driving experiences outside of India because of Mm. lack of availability of infrastructure here. So that we will, we are committed,
1: but doing something uh, more tangible in India at this stage, uh, not on the cards. Mm. Uh, On the A-Class, now we're getting questions on when the A-Class will come to India. Obviously, uh, you will not really be able to tell us when exactly the A-Class is going to come. But uh, will we see an A-Class hatch? You talked about the A-Class limousine, but will we see an A-Class hatchback uh, again in India?
0: I think the uh, A-Class uh, hatch, when we had launched the A-Class, I think it was a huge success. A lot of customers, we have sold thousands mm-hmm. of cars in India. And I think mm-hmm. that was also a definite point in terms of styling, design, and the medium uh, uh, that we used when we changed the entire brand perceptions here. So fr- mm-hmm. frankly, we have, it's very close to our heart. Uh, At the same time, when we did market research, uh, definitely, uh, you know, consumers want best of both worlds. Again, here, they also want space. Uh, They also want a three-box car. And uh, we had to take a decision because doing CBUs for volume products doesn't make sense. So for an A-class hatch, we have a lot of fans. But the price point for a CBU will not be offering value to our customers. So we said then we hone on our strategy and we then focus on the A-class Limousine, Because then that gives them space, that gives them three box also for, uh, you know, any of the uh, baggages and stuff. And Mm. that's the reason we have changed our strategy to the A-Class limo and decided not to do the
1: A-Class Hatchback. Yeah, Uh, Santosh, you were, before taking over as Vice President Sales and Marketing, you were in charge of after sales at Mercedes. Now, this is an interesting question. There's a lot of uh, passionate following for the W124 in India. Uh, i just throw up this uh, question. Do you actually uh, stock parts for the W124 for the older cars?
0: See, we for sure stock the parts, uh, you know, and I think parts, if at all, we don't stock uh, for classic car customers or even for W124, we can airlift at our cost and give it to customers. I don't think that's a challenge. But having said that, you know, we, when we import it through the normal channels, there are taxes and duties and the pricing for some of these old and parts uh, are different from the gray market. And we definitely try and educate our customers uh, to go for the original spare parts and the original channels uh, that we can give. We will be more than happy to support, as I said, even if it means logistic cost at our end, air freighting or air shipping them. Uh, we can take that. But yes, uh, we cannot compete with a gray market. Uh, as Mm -hmm. such uh, when it comes to these parts so and some of our dealers actually do a fantastic job we have some dealers in Bombay uh, also some in Hyderabad and others who really uh, take a lot of passion personally to restore these cars also
1: Mm. Uh, I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer when will the GLS Maybach come to India but uh, obviously Maybach has got a good response from your customers Uh, obviously very niche but uh, it has got response hasn't it It has got response.
0: Uh, We have customers who are ready to pick it up, uh, irrespective of the price uh, being announced or said, Uh, and I think we really value them also because of the trust on the brand. Uh, Having said that, you know, this is something like a hot car, you know, we have some hot car in our global portfolio. And uh, from a strategic perspective, we will be, we have to cater to the demand in markets where it is launched already. And then mm-hmm. we change market. So I think we are still in touch with our colleagues. Uh, if we are able to get these cars, we, will, we are more than keen to launch it. But it's about availability of this car uh, itself. Uh, and uh, we are sure there are fans uh, out to buy. But it's a matter of availability. And in this current supply situation, very difficult to predict uh, what's the timeline. Will we really get it and uh, when it will come in. So maybe once we open up, maybe we'll try and give some clarity there.
1: Yeah, Uh, also, we had a question earlier on your guard vehicles, your S Guard. uh, What all guard vehicles do you offer in India?
0: So, uh, you know, we had the S-Class limousine, uh, the S600 also, uh, uh, and the Pullman Guard also, uh, which was available. Earlier, we also used to have the SUV guard vehicles as such. Uh, From a strategic perspective, right now, we have uh, come out of Guard on the SUV side, but we are still offering it on the sedan. Uh, There is also cars with the highest level of protection. Of course, Mm -hmm. for confidentiality reasons, we cannot say more about, uh, you know, which customers who are buying and what, but definitely it's a good business uh, for us. Uh, uh, We also, uh, you know, uh, do personal consulting. Uh, trying to import these vehicles uh, and uh, I think the specialty team that we have which is responsible for AMG business uh, also takes care of all these guard requirements. So at this juncture, uh, that's what we can share but any personal uh, request or uh, if if there is anybody genuinely wanting to buy we can do the full assistance because it also needs some permissions, clearances from the government authorities.
1: Yeah, uh, I want to take this personal question. How did you start your career in the automotive industry?
0: Well, that's uh, very, very different because, you know, I started my career with a company called Avery. We were selling weighing machines and truckway bridges. Uh, So truckway bridges was the closest I got into automotive. Uh, Then I went to Nepal. Actually, I was in Kathmandu with a distributor uh, there. Uh, We started a business uh, and uh, selling capital equipments. And then I started selling Yamaha bikes uh, there in Nepal. Uh, And it's it's around 30 or 1000 bikes a year. So it's a big, uh, we had 20, 25 branches. And then, uh, you know, this entire environmental bug came into Kathmandu as a valley and then we said we will launch a gas-based three-wheeler uh, because two-strokes were banned. Uh, I think Kathmandu will be one of the f- uh, few t- places, cities in the world to ban two-strokes and, you know, get strict emission norms and I'm saying this in 1999. Uh, this is where we launched a, electric, uh, sorry, a gas-based three-wheeler uh, and then I, I set up a line, I set up everything. But unfortunately, the product was not as successful. And that's when I realized that uh, it's not an easy game to manufacture and, you know, also sell. Uh, But then because I was associated with Yamaha, I came back uh, to India and then I was in sales uh, in Maharashtra in Pune selling bikes. Then I went into Delhi uh, responsible for marketing and then the story goes on uh, with Toyota. uh, And that's how my career entry into automotive came in. So it's not by design, Uh, I would say it's by default, but I'm happy uh, and I'm doing what I love actually.
1: And we had another question on how do you get successful
0: at what you do? What is I think it's about the passion. Uh, If you are in the right thing, uh, you know, uh, I'm fortunate to be in the right industry because I love automotive. Uh, Also, as a marketeer and a sales guy, uh, the other passion I have is on consumer behavior. Because if you you continuously study and if you are there, I think when you enjoy what you do, you are successful. I think that's most uh, important. And uh, follow the mind uh, and the heart together. If you only follow one... Uh, you know, you will not uh, be as successful is in my my simple take. So I was fortunate uh, and I think that way there's been a good run uh, that I'm able to do what I like uh, and that may be the reason. Uh,
1: What are your tips for youngsters who want to follow in your footsteps?
0: Well, I think my footsteps are not so big, Uh, they can follow much, uh, there are much more personalities as such, but I think for successful, uh, to be successful, firstly, uh, you have to be dedicated, there is a lot of hard sweat and work which goes into anybody reaching there. And I have also seen uh, people at different stratas, even in our organizations and others, they've all gone through a curve. Uh, The other tip I can give is never join big MNCs to start with. You have to be an entrepreneur, uh, start small businesses, start small, uh, because that's where the learning is. You join a big multinational, you know, the learning is it's only you follow processes and you don't follow your gut. You don't, you you kill maybe that entrepreneur spirit. I was fortunate that I got this opportunity to be an entrepreneur, uh, started with small organizations and then, you know, worked in a dealership outlet, distributorship, and then came into an OEM because that really rounds up Uh, understanding on the market and that's uh, many youngsters want the brand they want the you know straight into a high profile job and MNCs so that's something again a tip I would say dirty your hands and then I think if you have content you will be successful so that's and with high dedication and hard work there's nothing else to substitute that.
1: That's a great tip Santosh because nobody's ever said that that uh, do get your hands dirty at the start. Don't join an MNC right at the start. Get your hands dirty. Try an entrepreneur role. And that gives you a grounding for a later role within an MNC. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, that, that's a fact. And it's not only automotive, I would say. In any industry. And the, the, the MNC bug is great. Because, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you flash the car to the family. You can do, uh, you know, to your friends. You can say, you be there. But sometimes the processes takes over you. And this mm-hmm. is something uh, and then you are you, you are not yourself and then you become the system. You feel this is the world. It's the frog in the well syndrome, I call it. And uh, mm-hmm. you can find a lot of people, uh, you know, working for companies for many years. And for them, that's the world, you know, that's what they have seen. That's what they, they either remain in companies. Some people also jump organizations, but then they remain in that cocoon, so called. So sometimes small organizations, small startups. Uh, and. In your formative years, take risk. you know, that's when you can learn a lot and then maybe uh, at a later point of time, uh, you know, you can join uh, large organizations and contribute uh, with your knowledge. Yeah. So take
1: risks early on in life. Uh, We're getting a shout out from your uh, colleagues at MB R&D in uh, Bangalore. Uh, You have a huge setup over there. So we had questions on careers at uh, Mercedes-Benz. You have careers across the board. You have in sales, marketing, production, because uh, you have a huge manufacturing facility also in Pune. You have a huge R&D setup in uh, Bangalore where you do global R&D, not just for India, but for the world, like your new MBUX operating system. A lot of it has been done in Bangalore.
0: Yeah, so uh, I think we, that way we are well set up in India, because we came to India in 25 years back, uh, then we started growing, uh, we got uh, MBRDI set up in 96, if I'm right, uh, and then MBRDI grew its own journey, you know, you, today we have close to 10,000 people there. And uh, we are proud to say that every Mercedes has an India in it, you know, that's something mm-hmm. there, some component, some contribution, even in today's time, you know, in this crisis time, uh, MBRDI is doing a fantastic job of running the IT, running certain processes and systems in the back end and support. Other markets, so and we are all working remotely. You know, many of our colleagues are all doing it. So India is finding its place in the Daimler ecosystem also in a very remarkable fashion. Uh, the other Daimler entity is also the trucks and buses in Chennai. Uh, in fact, they are also a large organization. They have also found their own setup with Bharat Benz as a brand only made for India and. Uh, Last not the least, I will say is the DFS. I think financial services. Now we call them as Daimler Mobility uh, Solutions. Uh, they play also a big role in our success. Uh, and from a career option, you know, uh, it's not limited to sales and marketing. It's also financial services. It's also RD or IT uh, in the MB setup, and also with our production colleagues either in MB Mercedes Benz India or in DHCV Chennai. So there are options, but uh, you know, in MB India. We have thousand odd employees, but we have no attrition. That's a, that's mm. a good situation to be in. Mm. Uh, but then that also explains, we don't have many openings. You know, we don't have options uh, as such. But I think what's growing is also MBRD in Bangalore. There are many options coming up and also the other Daimler entities.
1: Yeah. Sandosh, before we end, I want to ask you about your dream three-car Mercedes garage. So this is something that uh, your colleagues, uh, your social media colleagues put up on the Mercedes Instagram account uh, some days ago. Okay. So I just run through it quickly. Garage 1 GLE A class limousine and the C43. Uh, Garage 2 mm-hmm. GLS C class cabrio and the GTR. Garage 3 the GLS the GT4 Coupe and the GLC. Garage 4 the G class the GT Roadster and the E63 S. Garage 5 the Marco Polo C class and GLC 43 and the last 6 Garage 6 E class GLA and Maybach S class. Now I'll tell you that I'm a huge fan of both the G class as well as the E63. So I would select Garage 4. What would you select?
0: I I am torn between Garage 4 and Garage 6 actually, because uh, mm-hmm. personally I would like a Garage 4, but maybe not an E63S, but a C63, the older naturally aspirated engines uh, there. Uh, yeah as a personal preference, because, you know, I I, I keep saying that for me, it's like a squirrel on steroids, that particular (laughs) car on C63 uh, AMG as such. But of course, the Garage 4 uh, sounds, you know, it pumps a lot of adrenaline as such. Uh, But the Garage 6 is equally good. It's functional uh, for an everyday commute, because you said what you do like to walk in every day. I think the Mm -hmm. E-Class, the GLA and the S-Class, of course, for sure, uh, is uh, Palace on wheels. But from a pure uh, driving standpoint, if I have to drive uh, the Garage 4,
1: it's my profile or the DNA. <laughs> so Santosh, even though you are a head honcho at Mercedes, you cannot have six cars. You can have only three cars. So now, push, come to shove, select one. Garage four. <laughs> so, garage four. So uh, your taste and my taste uh, actually are quite similar.
0: <laughs> that that's nice to know. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I'm flattered. <laughs> so, Same here.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Santosh. Uh, I think this is all the time that we have. Uh, we've spoken to you for a full hour. Uh, great insights, especially on where to start off your career and how to get your hands dirty right at the start and take risks. And then obviously, you grow from there. Uh, I wish uh, you, your family, everybody at Mercedes Benz in India, good health. Uh, you guys have also been doing a lot of community outreach programs here in the Pune yeah. and the region where uh, you're based. Uh, uh, I believe you set up a 1500 bed isolation ward also contributed medical equipment. Uh, you're doing some work at the factory also in terms of TTE equipment. So a lot of that is uh, on the end. you want to quickly run us through that before we end?
0: No, I think uh, on the CSR side, we were very clear
1: that uh, we
0: will not look at just donating monies because that's, uh, I think, not the easier part, but still possible. And we said, what meaningful can we do? So, uh, we were also fortunate that we started this exercise just before the lockdown. 15 days prior, we had a risk management team. We were discussing with all the authorities in Pune. And we said, what can we do? And of course, their need was hospital. So we have not only set up the hospital there, but also, you know, many other activities in terms of providing rations for 3000 people to so on and so forth. But what I want to say is we have not finished. It's not that we have done it and been there. I think our teams, uh, the CSR team actually is fully on ground uh, working with authorities, trying to ask them in what way and manner we can contribute. It also means our learnings from our global operations, whatever comes into best practice. We are also sharing it with different bodies, CII or CIM or any of them. Uh, And we want to play a responsible role when we restart business. So how can we restart operations? What can we take care of the society? How dealers restart operations? Because that's also important in terms of uh, the employee safety and what dealers do. I will also mention one more point you know even our dealers uh, we had a quick call immediately after lockdown and many of our dealers did unique things for example I think the Pune dealer and the Hyderabad dealer they started sanitizing healthcare workers cars, bikes uh, even the police cars and bikes and they they said why don't we use our service facilities for doing that so the key message is meaningful contribution to the society and it need not just have any value on communication but let's do something on ground so we have not Concluded, it's just ongoing and I think more and more initiatives you will see from Mercedes-Benz India uh, to the best of what we can do uh, to protect the community and also support them.
1: Yeah, and uh, you, uh, Mercedes-Benz is an MNC, but uh, you've been in India and uh, you are very Indian in your outlook and in your business practices, 25 years in India.
0: Yeah, so this again, I keep saying to the industry bodies, don't call us as an MNC because we are as Indian, you know, 2,000 crores invested in India, I think uh, just few of my colleagues uh, are uh, from Germany here managing, uh, rest we are all the leadership team as predominantly Indian teams here who are running the show and you know, we are trying to manage this. Plus we have contributed in terms of taxes, a lot of people see us as a small player. But when you look at the price of a car and the taxes that goes into Mm -hmm. it, uh, direct and indirect. Uh, more than 3,000 people working uh, also within our dealership. I think we have played a significant role in the Indian automotive ecosystem. Uh, We want to do more. We would like to be the trendsetter when it comes to new technologies and stuff. So we are as Indian uh, in our outlook. And it's not only us. Even when you look at MBRDI, uh, Daimler went to an extent of having Bharat Benz as a brand for India Mm -hmm. or even our mobility solution DFS uh, in India. So I think we are committed to this market and we would like to grow with this market.
1: Thank you, Santosh. Uh, Thank you for your time. Uh, Like I said, uh, wish you good health, you, your family, everybody Mercedes-Benz and look forward to catching up very soon and driving your uh, lovely cars uh, very soon. Hopefully, an EMG as soon as the lockdown lifts.
0: Maybe we drive the Dream Garage 4 together.
1: (laughs) The Dream Garage 4. I look forward to that, Santosh.
0: (laughs) Sure. Thank you. Nice nice catching up and
1: uh, thanks to all your viewers also for their listening. Thank you. Thank you everybody thank you for joining and thank you for your questions this is all the time we have uh, we got lot of questions but uh, this is all that we can take uh, thank you again for joining us and uh, we'll be back again tomorrow at 12:30 with another special guest thank you sandosh again and uh, thank you catch thank very you very soon
0: thank you Bye-bye. bye